Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we're placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. That's the collect appointed for today, September the 19th, 2021. Thank you for listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green, and I'm your host. Thanks for being along today. Uh, we are uh, looking today that our lessons will be um, Psalm 1, Proverbs 31, verses 10 to 31, about the, the sort of perfect woman, the ideal woman, maybe better way to say that. The epistle will be James chapter 3, verse 13, beginning at verse 13, and the reading ends at chapter 4, verse 8, and then the gospel is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. So this week, it's been um, a a good week. It's been a quiet week, which is perfectly fine by me. We've had way too many exciting weeks over the last six months. So it's been a a good week. Um, Started being able to pick figs. I had this about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I planted a fig tree out by the, next to the garage, actually. And um, that thing has, and now it's, taller than the it goes up to the, I have to pick some of the figs by climbing up on the roof of the garage so it's <laughs> it's interesting we'll have literally we'll have at least a thousand if not more figs come off this one tree it's absolutely unbelievable I had no earthly idea it would ever grow to this size um, and then the, the reality is figs are, are very perishable they don't they don't really keep very well and there's not a whole lot of things you can do with them so and we'll see what we're gonna, what I'll do this year. But uh, it's been that, and then so the the tomatoes seem like they played themselves out now. So we're ready for uh, planting stuff like collards and kale and those kind of cool weather things here. So it's it, it's been nice because the weather has changed. It's broken and it's now officially fall, and so it's so nice when we go out and walk. And we we've had a good week. We ran into a couple of. Um, Women about our age, um, which I'm 60, by the way. So um, Will and I were out walking one day this week and ran into a couple of women who needed some directions on on how to navigate where they were. And so we ended up having a lot, nice chat with them, probably 15, 20 minutes. Just, uh, they were sisters, and they every year go hiking somewhere, take some, you know, a trip where they can do a lot of hiking. And so we ended up talking to them, and as it turns out, one of them's husband is a dean of a seminary, and uh, they're both solid Christians uh, who love the Lord and love one another. And it was just a, a delightful conversation with the two of them, and uh, really enjoyed it. And the, so the one whose husband is the dean of the uh, seminary said that the, that her sister actually had prayed her into the kingdom, that she had become a wayward child and, and was prayed into the kingdom by this older sister. And, and it was just this wonderful, you know, 20 minutes or so that, that where, where God just blesses you with something. And it was interesting because they were able, the, one of them was a rehab nurse. And I had been, it, the hard thing for Will is, is that, that he's unaware. I mean, and he, he, it's, it's difficult to relate to the miracle that happened in his life because it happened to him and he was sort of unconscious <laughs> for much of it and, and had, it's very difficult to relate to how bad the situation was. And so it happened that the one whose uh, husband is a dean of a seminary also uh, is a rehab nurse. And, and so she told him, I don't know if you needed to hear this, but you can't imagine what kind of a miracle you are because this, the story you just told doesn't happen. 
So it was a really, it was a blessed kind of time together. And so we've, we've had a good week and um, looking forward to, to next week. We're going to have a little get together on Monday uh, for Will's birthday and just kind of have some friends over and celebrate that. But uh, yeah, it's been a good week. I'm, I'm looking forward to this cooler weather. This is my favorite time of year. Um, I, I'm not big on summer um, it, it's just, I don't like the heat all that well. So, but, and this allows us to get out and do more and, you know, hike at any time of the day, not just early in the morning or really late in the day. So excited about all that. And, uh, a lot of good things I think right now going on. So, um, I want to look today at these lessons and the, the theme essentially would be something about, um, get your desires in order, you know, sort of, sort of, and, and I mean that by at every level. And that's what the the whole um, the the theme of the, all these lessons at some level is, is to, to tend to your knitting. That's pretty much the theme of the Proverbs uh, lesson, and then everything else as well. Um, keep everything in check. It's not a matter of being a stoic. It's not a matter of of uh, being a rustic or whatever. It, it's fixing these things. I mean, in preparation for the sermon, I was looking at some stuff, and frequently what I used to do a lot, I'm not doing much anymore, I go to the History Channel and look at, say, hey, what's going on today, and I'll use that as an illustration. And so it's funny, we, we tend to think that if we if we do this, that, and the other thing, if we, if we keep our lives simple, then we, then we keep everything will be simple. But then one of the things that I happened to notice was this is something I'm completely unaware of. This happened in Ohio in 2011. There, there was a, a sect um, which the of the Amish religion. They, they were stricter than others, but it's way more like a cult if you start looking at kind of the stuff that happened internally. But but they 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 thought their simplicity was better than the other group's simplicity, and so they attacked members of the other group, and they would say they did it out of love, um, and. It's it, it, this is a crime that could only happen right among the Amish, and so the crime was is that that these guys thought their simplicity was better than the than the other group's simplicity. I mean, when you get down to that point, I'm not sure sort of you know, how you would ever think your way through that, but they, they thought their simplicity was more simple and better than the other groups. And so what they did was, in order to to sort of punish them and, and call them back to true um, Amishness. They went and forcibly cut beards and hair <laughs> because those are marks of uh, piety. And so that and they were tried for this. Uh, they found them guilty of assault. They tried to try them under a hate crime act. I mean, it's you can't make stuff up sometimes. But, yeah, that was so. So we can be competitive about anything. Right. Even our simplicity. We can become uh competitive about that and so tend to your own knitting would be kind of the the way of looking at it what i landed on the, i had to tell you that story though because i just think it's hilarious but what i landed on was this so you the the on the 21st which would be tuesday would be an anniversary of benedict arnold uh, committing treason um, and what he did was he 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 was he had been appointed the head over a fort at West Point, and you know surely you know what that is now. But but he, he was promised a large sum of money and a high position in the British Army, and so that was the plan. Was he was going to hand over the fort and his command there? He had been uh, a hero in the army, and then got passed over for promotion, and bitterness over that was was kind of consuming him. And then he went and married. 
um, a socialite in Philadelphia, and they lived a very lavish lifestyle, and he got into significant debt and didn't have any way of getting himself out of it. And so this was contrived as a way of being able to get out of that debt and also a faster promotion for him in the uh, British Army than in the American. Now, he, he got away. I don't know if you know this, but he got away. But the but the person that he contacted met with Major John Andre and and made the made the pact to commit treason against the U.S. <clears throat> Andre was captured because this plot had been uncovered. Andre was captured, but but Arnold got away actually and um, led the British troops in in Virginia and Connecticut. In, over time, and then later moved to England, never actually got everything that he wanted. He died in England in 1801. But he decided because of his bitterness, he allowed that bitterness to overwhelm him. And then that played out in this second marriage and the, the lavish lifestyle and the death that he incurred and everything else. It's like one thing leads to another. And so his his passions for promotion and his passions for um, sort of th that that lifestyle caused his complete downfall and, and it's one of the biggest things I think that we as Christians need to constantly be aware of is that those temptations to have it all and the the Proverbs lesson is the and what what will we do to have it all and, and our competitiveness those two things combined um, create a disastrous sort of an opportunity for Satan to come in and for our lives to be completely wrecked. And so in this uh, in this Proverbs lesson, this is, like I said, it's about the excellent or ideal woman uh, who is also a wife. So I'm just going to basically, I'm just going to read this. I mean, it's not really too much that I need to comment on in, the, in this lesson. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchants. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, which is part of the weaving process, um, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates while he sits, when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And this is the praise. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. I mean, like I said, there's there's not comment really required on that. I mean, this is a woman who has tended to her knitting and who has stayed busy and not been idle. She She makes the most of what she has. And constantly is working, and so, but not just working, but also supporting and loving her family. She supports her husband in all that he does and, and raises up her children in such a way that they will call her blessed. 
And, and it's one of those things that, that we can uh, overlook too often, and this has nothing to do with it. It's not a male and female thing. This is just the, the, the commendation of what would be essentially the perfect wife and the perfect woman. But, but it, the, the principles that are here in this seem very simple, right? I mean, this, this lady has committed herself to, to her family, to her God and to to staying busy, she she doesn't have time for all the other nonsense of life. Um, and, and how much better we would be if we did that. And one of the I think one of the worst things in in our world actually is retirement, where you have no plan and nothing to do. It, it we we can get at, I, I pastor churches. I know how this looks. Um, I've had too many. Um, situations where there's just constant jealousy going on because the church becomes the focal point of everything. And so who has what position um, and, and who gets the attention of the pastor become the most important things because people just don't have other things going on in their lives. And, and that's that idleness is not good. And, and we can see that in our world broken all over the place. We weren't made for idleness that, that's not how we were created. We were created to work. We were created to be busy all our lives. One of the times I was, I was teaching a, a class in Genesis to, to a group of men, and they tended to be older men. And I taught this class for—we went through Genesis over about a three-year period. I mean, we spent a lengthy amount of time in Genesis. And we got to Genesis 22, which is where uh, Abraham is called to sacrifice his son Isaac— um, the, the way it begins is, after these things, God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one you—God tested Abraham, actually, and said, take your son, your only son, the one you love, and take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me there. And I, and I read that verse and then looked at those men and said, this really makes me mad. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, this man had to wait 25 years to have this son who was promised to him by God, and now God's calling him, and he's an old man at this point. I mean, we don't know how old he is, but we believe that Isaac would have been about 32. So so we're going to put Abraham then somewhere in 130-ish range, somewhere in that in there. And so, and, and they all looked at me and said, why does this make you mad? And, and, I, and I'm looking at a group of men who, who are retired and who are pretty much done, and they're coasting through, and they can just sit around and go to Bible studies now. And my comment was is that, you know, this man waited 25 years for this son, and now here he is late, late, late in life. He's not going to live much longer, and God won't leave him alone. He's still testing him. And my point was is that, that if you want to retire, then you're missing the whole point. It, it is not a, a way of just laying around and watching television or, or whatever. You know, it, it's no, we're, we're intended to be busy and active and working all the days of our life. And here in this this Proverbs passage with this woman, I mean, she makes use of every moment of her time. She rises up before it's daylight and then stays up until everybody goes to bed. And then she's busy and active the whole day. And we don't know if she's 25 or, <laughs> or 75. But the, the thing that, you know what, we get into a whole lot less trouble when we're idle, it's it's when we're idle and when we're not working and when we're seeking after something else rather than working for that something else, that we get ourselves into trouble. And and so then we begin to have these uh, differences, and we get we end up in animosities with people over nothing that's eternal. 
So, so we set our sights on, on am I on the vestry of the church? Am I the head of the altar guild? Am I whatever? Um, you know, we, we find these, these things that, that we have to have now. We have to be important in some way. And, and, and God doesn't always call us to do this. One of the things that, that struck me about the, the lady we met whose husband is the dean of the seminary is that's not the first thing she told us about him. The first thing she told us was that he pastored a church of about 40 people. And so I, I formed in my mind a certain kind of an opinion about, about what this guy might be like. And then it was only later that she told me that he, that he was the dean of the seminary. And it was like, that, well, that's so wonderful that, that the primary thing that's important to you as his wife, who loves him dearly. I mean, it was, she was this kind of woman, right, um, who, who raises up and praises her husband, that, that the first thing she defined him as was is the pastor of a small church. And then only later did I find that he's, he's the dean of a, a very large seminary. It was just, it was delightful to think about that. And it, it, it caused me to, to kind of kick myself in the head a little bit because, you know, when my church was about 40 or 50 people, I, I really looked down on myself. I felt like I was a complete failure. But this lady, that, that was the thing that, that most captivated and delighted her because she was most part of that. It was it's that to me encapsulated the way that we ought to think about our spouses, right? That that we ought to celebrate every single thing. And she began celebrating him with the smallest thing that he does in some ways. I mean, in the eyes of the world, it looks like the smallest thing, but she celebrated him for that. And she loved that church. It was just really, I, I can't tell you what, how many different levels it, it pleased me to hear that and, and to the, the, the just absolute shock when she told me that he was the dean of a seminary. It's just beautiful. But but it's the way that we need to be and with our spouses. We need to celebrate all the little things as well. But that but that's not a little thing to pastor a church. It was it was truly delightful. In the gospel passage today, it's it's interesting. You remember last week um, they were coming out of Caesarea Philippi and he asked who men said he was and who they said he was, and Peter confessed that he was the Christ. And then very shortly thereafter, Jesus started talking about that, that he was going to be handed over and that the religious leaders were going to have him crucified. And Peter then began to take him aside and rebuke him privately, and Jesus has to look around at the disciples, see that they're watching this and listening to this, and he has to rebuke him by saying, get behind me, Satan. So I was thinking about that whenever I read this first part of this passage. They went on from there, and from Caesarea Philippi, and passed through Galilee, where, so where they're from. And he didn't want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, I mean, how, how they go incognito in Galilee, where they're all from, I have no idea. But this, he, he was teaching and saying, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. So he's, again, speaking prophetically about what is to come, preparing them at some level for that, even knowing that they don't buy it. <laughs> They're not believing this is what's going to happen because they've read their Bibles, and they don't see that anywhere in there. And so after he teaches that, it says they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. I reckon so, because who wants to be called Satan? You know, you don't want to question what Jesus is saying because that rebuke is pretty strong, and I, I don't really want to hear that applied to me. You know, I'm glad it was applied to Peter, but I don't want to hear it applied to me, so I'm not going to ask him anything. When he talks about this particular topic, I ain't saying nothing. 
So then they come to Capernaum. And, and Capernaum is where much of the ministry uh, is and where much of it began, because that's where Peter lives. And so when they came, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. It, <laughs> and he sat down and he called the twelve. It's just like schoolboys is kind of what this sounds like, right? I mean, what were y'all talking about in there? When you know the teacher knows what you were talking about, and so uh, I, I mean, rare rabbit he say nothing, right? So <laughs> that or tar baby he say nothing. Actually, I guess it is. And so they kept silent because they didn't want to tell him. We were arguing who's the greatest, and you know, and the the reality is, as they're going to find, is is that it doesn't matter. Which of you is the greatest? Because compared to Jesus, we are nothing. Even the disciples, even the ones Jesus chose, in in, in comparison with Jesus, I mean, greatest, it, That once that gets established, I mean, Jesus is the goat. I mean, clearly he's the goat, the greatest of all time. But in comparison with him, it, we don't even seem like the same species. I mean, I had a, a friend who was a great tennis player. And uh, he, he was at one. I mean, he was great in comparison to most people because he was in, in the like thirtieth in the world at one time. And uh, but he would say, "John, I was nothing compared to you know Connors and McEnroe. That's those were his um, contemporaries." And uh, but it was funny because I, I happened to see a picture on Facebook that another friend of mine had posted, and, and I saw this guy. I knew his father too, so I saw his father in there, and I, so I reached out to my buddy and I said, "Hey, did uh, I didn't realize you played tennis with this guy?" And he said, John, I did, but he said, we played on the same team. He said, but we were all really clear that he essentially played a different sport than we, we did. He was that much better than us. And this guy would then look and say, but I was nothing compared to, you know, the great players of the day. But compared to the guys that I was playing with in college, yeah. I mean, this guy still has, this. Uh, I think, the record for the most wins as a singles player in the season in NCAA history. But yet when he moved to the next level, he said, you know, I, yeah, I was just a random guy almost at that point. And, and, but Jesus is, is so much further away. But that, that comment about this guy played a different sport than us, even though we all carried the same equipment, it, it, it reminds me of this. So for the disciples to argue who's the greatest is, is to, in comparison with Jesus, it, it seems ludicrous. And yet we do the same things. We're still looking for position among ourselves, right? When, when that's not who we should be comparing ourselves to, we should be comparing ourselves to the ideal, like the ideal woman in Proverbs. I don't know that that's a person, but it, it, it describes an ideal, and Jesus shows us the ideal. He shows us exactly what we should be. And so rather than comparing ourselves to one another and competing with one another, we need to be comparing ourselves to the ideal that's expressed in Jesus, perfect humanity. <clears throat> So, anyway, he, he calls them to himself, and he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And, he, and this is a continual refrain, right, in all his teaching, including even on the night that he was going to be arrested and crucified the following day. The, one of the final demonstrations that he gives them to teach is when he strips to the waist and washes their feet, and, and they're just appalled at the idea of Jesus doing something like that. And, and yet he does, and he does it in order to teach them. You've got to be the servant. And here he, he teaches it, and then he shows that. He demonstrates what it looks like truly to do it. He humbles himself even to the point of being a servant 
to the disciples here who, who are arguing who is the greatest. And at some level, what they're trying to argue is who's going to take his place if any of this happens? Who, which one of us will be you know, sort of sitting on the throne? Well, none of you. None of us ever will. We need to compare ourselves to him. And that would bring us to humility. And it brings us to a place where we recognize that we don't, ha- we don't deserve any great place in the kingdom in any shape, form, or fashion. And so we just, we just humble ourselves to serve others as though we were serving Jesus himself. So he takes a child and put him in the middle, middle of him and taking him in his arms. Can you just see this? I mean, isn't that a tender picture? Jesus puts this child in the center and then he wraps his arms around him. And he says to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. It's just this powerful image. And if you're sitting there, then then you're realizing he's looking at one who is considered the least of these, right? Because what does that child have to offer? And Jesus says, receive my children. And children come in all shapes and sizes and ages. And so Jesus is, is here imploring the disciples to humble themselves to, to receive the least of these. Because children were not considered much until they passed the age of maturity. And then, and then they began to be valued in the society. But at that time, children weren't greatly valued. It, it, it was always a delight to me when we were at Pauly's Island that Suzanne was in children's ministry. It was a very large children's ministry, a couple hundred kids involved in it. And so I was involved because, well, I was her husband, and I was I moved my office into the children's wing. Um, and so I was involved in pretty much everything they did in children's ministry and, and absolutely loved it. And I had so many wonderful experiences doing that. I, I saw a kid that I knew one day. He was doing, I'd forgotten what he was doing. He was cleaning something. And I walked by and said, Jackson, what are you doing out here? And he, he said, I'm cleaning this. And I said, why are you doing these like four or five? He said, uh, I got in trouble for throwing sand on the playground today. And his eyes were downcast. I mean, you can see it. You know what it is. He felt guilty and everything. So I I told him about my older son who had gotten into trouble for the same thing that week. And he was about 10 or 11 years old at the time. And so later, um, the mom came up to me and said, I just had the funniest conversation yesterday with Jackson. I said, what was it? She told me this story. And then she asked him, who was it that? that you were talking to, and he said, Mr. John. And she said, Mr. John who? I mean, obviously, you got a name like John. There, there's many possible suspects here. And she, he said, Mr. John the Baptist. I mean, it was just a wonderful thing that that, that, that that was such an affirmation to me that, that, that this kid, it meant so much to him that I spoke to him and talked to him. But, it, but if you want to make a kid's day, man, just, just focus on that child. In the midst of a, a crowd of adult, of adults, when nobody else is paying attention to them, we're all about adult things. And then to focus on that child, man, you'll, you'll get absolutely the best uh, out of that kid, and, and you will have the grandest time because you'll see the delight they have whenever you take delight in them. In, in this James passage today, James is, is teeing them up over these kinds of things about um, – our desires being out of control because we're desiring the wrong things, right? So he says, who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So if you're wise and understanding, then then that wisdom and understanding ought to play itself out in your life. So let, let him show his works by his good conduct 
in the meekness of wisdom. And, and that's, again, it's Jesus was wise, certainly. He's wiser than any man who ever lived. And he taught them wise things, but then he showed them wise things as well in the, in the way that he related to other people, particularly the way he related to them and the way that I just explained about he, he not only taught them to be servants, he was their servant. That's his final teaching. If, if you had one final thing you had to teach somebody, you wanted to make sure they remembered it all their life, what would it be? You, know, you, you would teach that at the end, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He teaches what he's already taught, but he teaches by doing, and that's what James is saying. He said, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Never experienced that in my life, right? Never. Not not yet this morning. Uh, he says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, including treason, like Benedict Arnold, right? I mean, it, it, that's exactly what happens. When we have that jealousy and selfish ambition, which described Benedict Arnold's motives perfectly. He said, But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So instead of chasing after all the stuff that your ambitions would want or your desires would cause you to want, he says, tend to your knitting. Just stay busy and be be confident, comfortable, and delighted in what God's giving you. You can't have those other things if you're not if you're not delighted and pleased and thankful and grateful for what you have. That's where the peace is actually found, not in striving after all these other things. Meet opportunities, obviously, when they come to you, but don't set those things as the goals of your life because it's going to drag you away from everything else that's important. It's the same stuff Jesus says in Matthew 6, when he says, don't be anxious about all these things. God knows you need them. And that's exactly James's point here. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So it's the reason not to murder, the reason not to fight and quarrel, it's, 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 it's a display of those sins. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching when, when, about this whole thing about hating, and that, that then becomes murder. And he says, you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. I mean, if you told me that I was going to come into a bunch of money tomorrow, unfortunately, one of the first things that would come to my mind was, well, how am I going to spend it on me? And James is saying that you're asking wrongly. You can say, well, I'm really asking because I want to do all these other good things, but, but where is your time really spent? Is it, is it spent on, on looking at the things you want or the things you want to do for God? It's, it's pretty easy to tell generally what it is we really want. He says, don't you know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he's made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I mean, that's a difficult thing, because we want to be right. We want to be all these other things. And yet, what he's saying is is that he gives grace to the humble. 
to those who are willing to submit themselves to him and submit themselves to one another in love, to forego our own preferences and desires in order to serve him and to serve others. He says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Well, so there's two principles right there, right? Resist the devil and he'll flee. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And so in drawing nearer to God, I am having to resist the devil. I'm, I'm having to resist those temptations that war within me because I do have passions and desires in my life. And, and yet what I need to do is deny those things and move closer to God and seek after the things of God. And all these things will be added unto you as Jesus' promise. But you can't be a divided mind. You have to truly seek with all your heart the things of God and, and allow him to add everything you need. He's cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that's exactly what we can become. And it's easy to become a double-minded person. The, the effect of the slights that we've experienced in our lives, everything else, where somebody else has preferred somebody else over us, where we've been criticized, wherever we've been hurt. Whatever anybody has done to us, those things build up in our lives, and we end up with an idea that we need to, that, that life is a zero-sum game and that we need to win every battle. And that, that we can't lose and we can't allow the image we have of ourselves to be broken down and humbled before the Lord. But you know what? The reality is that to, the, to the extent that that's true in your life, you're not able to receive the grace that's on offer. As long as we're insisting on our own greatness, as long as we're insisting and, and protecting our self-image, then we can't ever be broken enough to receive the love and grace that's available at the cross. We're missing the best of God because we're insisting on our own value. We can't know our value until he pulls us into the midst of the crowd and wraps his arms around us and said, whoever receives one of these in my name. I mean, it's, it's that. It, do you want to be the child or do you want to be the one being lectured? There's only one way to get there. That's to humble ourselves and to seek that more than anything else.